This episode is brought to you by Dropbox. Start your free trial with this amazing service by clicking the Dropbox banner at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Brave New Films, Ring of Fire, Counterspin, The Daily Show, NPR, Bill Maher, and The Rachel Maddow Show. Senator Chuck Grassley's come out. Uh, he's supposed to be one of the moderate Republicans. Everybody laugh along with me. And back the idea that, uh, in fact, the Obama health care program uh, might pull the plug on grandma. Let me uh, read you a quote from Senator Grassley from Iowa. There's some fear because in the House bill, uh, there's counseling for end of life. And from that standpoint, you have every right to fear. Of course, because the Republicans love pushing fear. Every right to fear. Um, you shouldn't have counseling at the end of life. No, of course, you should be an idiot. Uh, and you should make decisions. Uh, first of all, you shouldn't plan ahead. But if you do, you certainly should not be counseled by a medical doctor as to what choices you'd like to make. No, no, you shouldn't have counseling. I agree with you, Grassley. He says, you ought to have counseling 20 years before you're going to die. You ought to plan these things out. All right, so that's fair enough. At least he's saying that. And I don't have any problem with things like living wills. Okay, great. And what's your problem? He continues, but they ought to be done within the family. We should not have a government program that determines if you're going to pull the plug on grandma. Well, there at the end, it became completely unjustifiable. You could have said before, hey, look, he's saying a little this and a little that. He's not against living wills. And at the end, he just makes up that the government program, that there's a government program that's going to pull the pro plug on grandma. Not even within miles of truth. Yesterday we told you about an Associated Press story where they said, all right, we're going to fact check this just in case uh, people have read the bill over and over again. And the Associated Press explained there is absolutely, positively, no such thing in the bill. All it says is, if you're going to write a living will, you can consult a doctor about it so you know what your choices are. <gasps> oh, my God, I can't believe it. It's a death panel. Absolutely ridiculous. Now... Uh, part of the people, let me give you uh, some of the people that supported it in the House and the Senate. Well, they would be Republican Charles Bustani of Louisiana and Republican Patrick Tiberi of Ohio in the House. They uh, put together a provision that was very similar to the one that's in the House bill that everybody's referring to. They were on board. Before they realized that the rest of their party was going to fearmonger about death panels, and they didn't see that coming. Neither did the Republicans in the Senate who had backed it including Susan Collins of Maine, Richard Luger of Indiana, and John Isaacson of Georgia. When Isaacson was asked about it, he said, what are you guys talking about with death panels? This is the most normal thing in the whole wide world. You go and consult with your doctor as to what you should do for the decisions you're going to make. There's no government official. It's a doctor, and it's not forced at all. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Okay, we're just trying to help a brother out. Now, the Republicans were completely on board for this until they decided, hey, you know what, we could fearmonger on this and try to defeat the, uh, this piece of legislation with goddamn lies. And that's what Chuck Grassley's pushing. That's what Sarah Palin is pushing. Newt Gingrich, John Boehner, they've all said these, you know, points about euthanasia and pulling the plug on grandma and the death panels that they know for a fact are lies. See, when I see stories like this, that's when I give up on the Republican Party. You're not having a legitimate debate. 
No, I have friends of mine saying, I was emailing back and forth with some guys today, and they say, hey, you know what, you should, uh, I think the Republicans might have some good ideas, you should listen to them. <laughs> Come on, that's a good one. Republicans with good ideas on health care reform. As if they legitimately want health care reform. And they came up with some ideas, hey, you guys want to consider them? No, every single idea is a time bomb meant to explode to destroy reform. Look, these guys are not on the level. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the country is caught on to this, but some have not. They, you think Chuck Grassley really thinks that, they're gonna, that Obama's going to pull the plug on Graham? Of course he doesn't think that. He's a smart guy. He, he's smart enough to have put in billions of dollars into health care bills. I, we did a long story on one during the Bush administration for guess who won on that? The health care industry. In the middle of the night when he was the head of that committee, he snuck in, I think it was $22 billion extra for the health care industry. When everybody woke up, they're like, what the hell? How did that get in the bill? He's like, well, I just put it in there. Now you got to vote for it. Ha, ha, ha. Too bad. Okay, he's one of the worst at that. From time to time, Grassley will say something that is actually moderate or sounds reasonable, and you'll get confused for a second. Like, wait, can I trust that guy? Because here's the thing. Even if you don't agree with him, if people are making points that are on the level, that they say, all right, look, here's what we think about health care reform, and we believe in the private business taking care of this, la, 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 then we can have a debate. And that's the way the country should work. But these guys are not on the level. They don't give a damn. They want to destroy the health care uh, uh, reform. They don't want it at all. They want the industries and the corporations to win and make more profit so they could funnel it back to them. They want to destroy Obama's presidency on a political level. And so they'll make up any damn lies they want to further that cause. Don't make the mistake of thinking that this present-day Republican Party actually means a word of what they say. No, they'll say anything to deceive you, to get you to stop any kind of reform, change, or something that might help the American people and hurt their corporate friends just even a little bit. So now, and by the way, Senator Grassley, you, so you tell me. How about Susan Collins and Senator Isaacson and Senator Luger, your Republican colleagues? Are they also in favor of killing your grandma? Okay, yeah. So I hope somebody asks them that question. Uh, we'll see if they do or not. Usually they get to slide on this stuff. Then we pretend to have a debate as to whether we're going to kill your grandma or not. Look at what this country's devolved into. It's because of these guys. And when you got a one political party who does nothing but lie all the time, what are we going to do with them? I want to have a real debate in this country, man. I want to talk to people who are intelligent and who might have a different opinion. But I don't want to talk to these guys whose whole job is to screw it up and to make sure that nothing ever works. Well, nothing ever works except their corporate friends getting rich. Stephen Helms. These insurance companies are making folks absolutely they are obscene.
Watertown, Wisconsin. We've lived in the city of Watertown for about six years now. I have three daughters. My oldest daughter is Adriana, she's 10 years old. My middle daughter is Kennedy and she's eight. And my youngest is Isabella, she turned five in April. Our world was pretty much turned upside down in a matter of minutes to us finding out that we would have a critically ill child who had not just one but multiple life-threatening disorders was just mind-boggling. At that point, ear infections were the worst thing in the world. We were told initially that the paperwork was lost. Um, a couple weeks later, we were told by United Healthcare that it was denied. The big winners in this broken health care system, let's look at who they are. The CEO of United Health Group, Stephen Helmsley, his salary $3.2 million. The incredible gross profits of the private health insurance industry that is at the core of the problem. A few years ago, I think the president of United Healthcare um, made uh, so much money that one in every $700 that was spent in this country on health care went to pay him. So. Did you hear that? Pretty striking. It's, it's pretty amazing. They just isn't got it? a little gasp out of yeah, those folks. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You're pulling it apart. We immediately appealed to see if we could get, you know, the the coverage that we needed, and our first appeal was denied. Bella was continuing to suffer through very painful G-tube feedings to the point where she would actually try and rip her G-tube out of her stomach because they hurt her so much. She was to the point where she would literally look at a spoon and vomit. And we would have to, my husband or myself would have to hold her so that she wasn't swinging at us. And I also really felt that it was United Healthcare's responsibility to pay for it. We were told no so many times. It was just, it was incredibly frustrating. If they didn't pay this one-time cost, she was going to suffer. these insurance companies are making folks absolutely they are obscene he was six months old we were at the pediatrician and he mentioned that Dylan would probably need the Doc brand helmet to correct the plagiocephaly and if he didn't wear this helmet then he could potentially have issues eating two months into the treatment we got the denial letter uh, from United Healthcare saying that they weren't going to cover it they viewed the helmet as cosmetic. Why are we putting money into the profits of insurance companies rather than into medicine? My name is Steve Hemsley, and I'm the president and the chief executive of United Health Group. Our mission at United Health Group is to help people live healthier lives. And our more than 80,000 employees do this every day for more than 70 million Americans. My entire colon ended up getting large and pretty much dying and with no explanation they did several tests and after my second surgery and that's when they had to put me on the IV nutrition. Everything I ate just came straight through and was not being absorbed and that's why I had to have the TPN to keep me alive and to keep hydrated even. They kept telling my local pharmacy who was providing the TPN, oh, we're just waiting for one more letter or we're just waiting for one more script and then we'll start paying. This went on for six months and December 4th, both the pharmacy and I received a letter through United Healthcare saying that they deemed it medically unnecessary and that they were not going to pay any of it. 
I tried to explain to them that if I do not have this, I will die. And the only response she gave me was okay. Government officials are actually calling this the biggest health insurance scam they have ever seen. The victims are patients, in many cases, very sick patients. To live in a society that would allow the CEO and higher executives of United Healthcare to make three quarters of a billion in stock, it's disgusting. It was also very frustrating to know that they made that money off the backs of people like me. Where is all that money going? I can't imagine the kind of house he has or houses. Behind all those numbers are real people. I don't know how in the world you call yourself an insurance health care giver. It's just ridiculous. Stephen Hemsley, how are you able to sleep at night? about how to modernize our health care system. Here's what's going on. They're now being driven by Wall Street. Cancel huh? your coverage. He says it's not in their best interest. Now, the suit was brought by a number of institutional this shareholders. this ever happened to you? You go to a doctor. of unfair insurance reimbursement criminal. rates. That's right, criminal charges. See frequent evidence. Woe to anyone who gets between them and the profits they reap from sick people. This podcast is supported by Dropbox. Dropbox is amazingly powerful and incredibly simple. It runs on your computer as an almost ordinary folder, but anything you put in that folder is synced automatically with the Dropbox servers. From there, you can easily share the files with anyone or keep multiple computers like work and home in sync all the time, all while enjoying a secure online backup of those files. I personally use Dropbox and find it to be indispensable, and now listeners of Best of the Left can get a 14-day free trial by following the Dropbox link at bestoftheleft.com. Healthcare reform was a large part of President Obama's platform last year during his campaign, and it's something that progressives have been working on for the past two decades. But during that time, the GOP has made sure to throw up every possible block to prevent Democrats from being able to enact meaningful health care reform. But now that the power in Washington has shifted, the effort to revamp our health care system has been put back on the agenda. Joining me now to talk about the latest developments in this fight for a better system is Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Good to be with you, Bobby. So you've become the primary driver behind the Access to All Health Care Act for Americans. Can you tell us about it? Well, look, uh, I think most people understand that our, our health care system is disintegrating. We have 46 million people without any health insurance. We have more people who are underinsured, and the cost of health care is soaring, which is putting a huge burden on large corporations as well as small businesses. That's the reality. And the question that as Americans we have got to ask ourselves is how does it happen that after we spend twice as much per capita on health care as any other nation, we end up being the only major country in the world that does not guarantee health care to every man, woman, and child in a comprehensive way. So clearly there are fundamental flaws in the system, and clearly, in my view, we've got to move in a very, very different way. And I think the way that we move is to say, A, every American is entitled to health care. 
B, it has got to be comprehensive health care. And C, the function of health care is not to make money for private health insurance companies, but to provide cost-effective health care to all Americans. And when you look at that issue from that way, the conclusion, the only conclusion that you reach is that a single-payer system is where we need to go as a nation. The premise here is that our health care system costs twice as much as it ought to for the care that it's giving. Who's making the killing here? Well, obviously, you got insurance companies, and I think most Americans know that the function of insurance companies, health insurance companies, is not to provide health care. It's to deny health care because every dollar they don't spend on health care is another dollar that they're making in profits. So I think you've got to take a hard look at the profiteering of the health insurance companies and also the hundreds of billions of dollars in waste that takes place through billing and the whole bureaucracy that that implies. Uh, I think you've got to take a look at the drug companies who are charging the American people the highest prices in the world for our medicine precisely because we don't have a national health care system. I think you've got to look at the medical equipment suppliers who seem to think that every office in America has got to have the latest technology, uh, despite the fact that we're wasting large sums of money by overusing that technology. So those are some of the characters, I think, who are driving up the cost of health care. Now, traditionally, the American Medical Association has opposed national health care programs. Where do they stand today, and how will doctors come out under your plan? Will they still be able to do well? Well, they sure will. Uh, in fact, Bobby, interestingly enough, there are some 15,000 doctors in the United States of America who support a single-payer national health care program, and that is a whole lot of folks. You have major nursing organizations that support single-payer, and the reason that more and more doctors are moving toward the single-payer concept is they are sick and tired of having to argue with insurance companies about every procedure that they do. And what they find is that a significant amount of their time goes into arguing with insurance companies rather than practicing medicine. And thats it's a time issue, but it's also an issue that breeds a lot of frustration for people who are in this profession because they want to practice medicine and help people and not argue with insurance companies. So I think what single payer does is it simply says that when a patient walks into your office, you can treat that patient any way you want, regardless of the income of that person. You can provide the comprehensive care that that person needs. And I think that lifts a, a huge burden uh, off the shoulders of many doctors and nurses who are just tired of being micromanaged uh, by private insurance companies. You know, one of the complaints you hear on talk radio from the right-wing guys is that you're going to now have government bureaucrats basically making medical decisions about your condition. But the, exactly the opposite is true. And today we have private insurance companies with a profit motive and HMOs who are making no, treatment decisions. That's, that's exactly right. And I think there has been a lot of dishonesty in terms of how the healthcare systems of other countries are being portrayed. And every problem that exists, and of course there are problems in every system in the world, uh, are blown up out of proportion and all the good things that these systems do, which in most cases is to provide universal, comprehensive, cost-effective health care, uh, those attributes are kind of swept under the rug. But your point is exactly right. That's certainly one of the frustrations right now that, that many people in the medical profession have is the micromanaging uh, from insurance companies, not even doctors. I mean, they got to get on the phone and talk to bureaucrats about whether they can prescribe this or that drug or this or that treatment.
debate over health care policy continues to take its twists and turns. Some of the most recent reporting suggests the White House is ready to drop its support for the so-called public option. This is precisely the kind of rightward shift many in the press have been seeking. In the August 17th Washington Post, one story led this way, quote, racing to regain control of the health care debate, two top administration officials signaled Sunday that the White House may be willing to jettison a controversial government-run insurance plan favored by liberals, close quote. Well, there's a lot there to unpack, but let's try. The White House decision is framed as regaining control, which is a strange euphemism for backtracking. The public option is controversial, and its appeal is apparently restricted mainly to liberals. A more interesting piece came in the Los Angeles Times, where several paragraphs into the story we read this very simple statement, quote, "...polls have shown that a large majority of Americans favor a public option." Close quote. Funny, then, that the lead sentence carried a different message, quote, "...by dropping his insistence on a public insurance option, President Obama angered some of his most loyal supporters, but sharply improved the odds of passing a far-reaching health care overhaul." Close quote. Now, a more coherent media system would try to explain to citizens how and why something that is popularly supported is nonetheless politically impossible, and thus how it is that removing one of the more popular features of a bill improves the odds of passing that bill. Now, that would be a great story. Senator Sanders, what paradigm would you choose if somebody said to you, show me a, a national health care program that actually works, that doesn't have the long lines, the long waiting periods that the hate radio jocks on right-wing radio predict, that don't have bureaucrats making life and death decisions about who gets what equipment, which program actually works and what are the benefits of it? I think it's probably a good idea to look at, at all of the programs around the world and, and choose the best aspects of uh, any of them. You know, I, I do find it amusing, Bobby, that you have these right-wing guys talking about waiting lines in other countries. In the United States, we have 60 million people who do not have access on a regular basis to a physician, and they end up going to the emergency room or they end up going to the hospital when they should not have had to go to the hospital because they didn't get the health care that they needed when they should have gotten it. We have some 18,000 people, according to the Institute of Medicine, who die every year because they don't have health insurance. So I think before we start casting stones at other health care systems around the world, we might want to take a hard look at our own system as well. I think first point to be made when we compare 
our system to any other system is we spend almost twice as much per capita on healthcare as do, for example, the Canadians. Is the Canadian healthcare system perfect? No, it's not. Do they have waiting lines for some procedures? Yes, they do. On the other hand, what the Canadians do right now is provide healthcare to every man, woman, and child as a right of citizenship. The level of satisfaction for the Canadian system is a lot higher than the level of satisfaction for the American system. But remember, if we were to spend the kind of money that we're currently spending in the United States on a Canadian-style national health care program, we could ameliorate many of the problems that the Canadians have and have a much better system than they do. So their system is a pretty good model. It is not a socialized health care system. It is a primarily a private nonprofit health care system, which has a public health insurance program. On the other hand, the British do have, by and large, a socialized health care system where most of the hospitals and doctors are, in fact, connected to the government. The advantage there is their system is very, very cost-effective. They spend approximately one-third per capita of what they, we spend, and they provide health care to all of their people. They've got problems in the National Health Service there as well. But understanding that we spend so much more than either the Canadian system or the British system or the Scandinavian systems, there is no doubt in my mind that we can have a better system than any of them because we're already spending uh, substantially more money. You know, another thing they say on hate radio is, well, anybody can go to an emergency room. I have a son who has very serious asthma and food allergies. He had 29 hospitalizations before he was three years old. Because we have good insurance, we got a nebulizer, which stabilizes his asthma at home and allows us to treat him. If we did not have that, we literally would have had hundreds and hundreds of hospitalizations because he had a pretty much continuous asthma until he was about nine years old. And I just don't understand how somebody functions because, you know, we have lines here. You go to an emergency room and you may wait two or three hours or four hours or five hours. And I do that, you know, even with my connections and access and notoriety. I still end up waiting a long time in emergency rooms. Bobby, a, a couple of, of years ago, my wife was ill. I was a United States congressman. And I called up and I said, she'd like to see a doctor. They said, okay, we'll, we'll get you an appointment in a couple of weeks. I mean, this mythology that in America you simply get on the phone regardless of your income and you're going to see a doctor in a few minutes. I don't know what world people are living in who say that. That is absolutely not the case. Right. And, <laughs> and anybody... Anybody who thinks that healthcare in America is not to a significant degree based on income and connections is very mistaken. I, I won't argue with those people who are very, very wealthy who say, hey, I got great healthcare. They do. But if you are a working class person, if you are a middle class person, if you're a low income person, the evidence is overwhelming that the quality of care you are going to get is not equivalent uh, to upper income people. Furthermore, what is so absurd about the status quo in America is that when we force people to go to the emergency room, what we end up doing is providing the most expensive primary health care imaginable. That's a very dumb way from a cost-effective point of view to providing health care. Furthermore, because so many people do not have health insurance and delay going to the doctor, what happens? They become sicker than they should. Then they go to the doctor finally. And then they end up in the hospital, and we end up spending tens of thousands of dollars treating somebody who might have been treated uh, much more easily and cost-effectively if they got the care when they needed it. So this system, which is very, very weak on primary health care, again, 60 million Americans do not on a regular basis have access to a doctor of their own, even more lack dental care, 
is incredibly wasteful, and we can do just infinitely better, I think, uh, by a single-payout national health care program. And how do you answer if, when one of your Republican colleagues says, well, where's the money going to come from? Well, the money is there already. I mean, I think what we're dealing here, again, is this mythology that people love. You know, everybody tells me, Bernie, I just love paying twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year to the private health insurance company uh, for my family's health insurance. I just get a great joy of writing out that check to Blue Cross Blue Shield or Connecticut General. That just makes me feel great. But I hate taxes. So what, the, you know, our Republican friends say is your taxes are going to go up under a single payer. True. They will. What are they forgetting? They're forgetting that you're not going to pay private health insurance. They're forgetting that your employer is not going to have to pay a significant amount of money that should be reinvested in their business needs into health care. They're forgetting that General Motors right now puts more money into health care per car than you do into steel. So the answer is, of course, health care is going to cost money. Under a single payer, it is publicly funded. But you are not going to have to pay private health insurance. And at the end of the day, it is a much more cost-effective way of delivering quality, comprehensive care. And how will your program affect the, the competitiveness of U.S. industries? Well, I think it improves it. I mean, I think when we're talking about the crisis in health care, it's not just 46 million without any insurance or even more underinsured. That's a personal situation where people are really hurting. It is also, when you look at our health care costs, an economic issue. I can tell you that in Vermont, there are many small businesses who are putting a lot of money into health insurance who desperately would like to be able to reinvest in their business to create more jobs and to become more competitive. I think there is no question that as a nation, we are at a competitive disadvantage when our private companies are forced to compete against private companies around the world who are living under government-sponsored health care. What are the chances, what are the Republicans going to do to block this legislation? Um, how mobilized are they to block this legislation? And what do you think the chances are? Well, I think the chances for a single-payer are going to be very, very difficult. We are going to have to mobilize people from one end of this country to the other end and begin to stand up for fundamental changes. But i got to tell you, that the insurance companies, the drug companies, the medical equipment suppliers, they have spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in campaign contributions and lobbying in recent years. And it's going to be a tough, tough sledding to, to pass a single payer. It will even be difficult to pass a strong public option within a health care reform that we're dealing with right now. So the Republicans are very strongly mobilized against an expansion of the public health care system, uh, and the money to trust are certainly going to fight it vigorously. Sino actually emailed us uh, through the website, and uh, he made a great comment. He said, Jenk, think about it for a second. Imagine if these angry protesters that were shouting and screaming and sometimes getting violent and now bringing guns to these town hall events, 
were on the left during the Bush years. Do you know how quickly people would have gotten arrested? And that's a great point by Scott. I mean, they didn't even let people in the door. If you wore the wrong kind of shirt or you had the wrong bumper sticker on your car, they wouldn't let you in. All right? Now, you're telling me, do you remember any of this? I mean, every once in a while, Code Pink would yell out something, and they'd get escorted from the building instantly, right? I mean, if Code Pink came and started chanting all at once, they were removed from the building within 13 seconds flat. Okay, imagine if left-wingers started bringing guns to Bush events or to Republican congressman events during the Bush years. Come on. Now, what do you think would have happened? See, it's a different standard, man. They, when, it, when it comes to the left wing, they're like, well, remember what they did during the Bush years? The FBI investigated the Quakers because they had anti-war uh, protests. The Quakers, by definition, aren't allowed to fight. They, uh, they investigated vegans. They investigated just about every unimaginable group on the left. Now, on the right, if you investigate anybody, they go, oh, yeah, look at this, Homeland Security. Yeah, of course, the government investigating. <laughs> You're not allowed. And then they scream and they shout and, they, and there's, uh, you know, fights and there's guns. And then, but we're supposed to, that's all freedom, right? Now, the thing is, look, if they just went to go express their opinion, I'd love them for it, even if I disagreed. But one, they've got to let other people speak. Two, they can't keep shouting so no one can get heard. And three, please, for the love of God, don't bring guns, okay? It just... Look, we're not like you. We're not trying to shut you down. We don't believe in an authoritarian system of government. We believe in democracy. So if you want to go challenge your Democratic congressman, I love you for it. Go for it. Just, this is America. We're supposed to do it peacefully and civilly. I mean, we're one burning tire away from Haiti. <laughs> okay, it's a bit much, okay? But really, I fear it's slipping out from underneath us. This is, this is what happens in developing countries where they do organized mobs, they shut down the, you know, the rallies of the opponents, and people start bringing weapons. Look, I don't want to make too much of a thing out of it, except when it happens, they, you know what they're going to say. They're going to give you that old Condi Rice line. No one could have seen it coming. I can see it coming, and it's not good. And I don't know what to do about it, because the minute you tell uh, the, you know, the right wing, hey, watch it, this is not a good idea. They say, oh, you see that? You're trying to shut me down. I'm not trying to shut anybody down. I'm just trying to tell you that you're stoking fires you're not going to be able to control here. And uh, uh, another commenter, let me see, uh, Evening Star from our website, that made a good point. This is fear-based, man. It's so... I mean, I, I wrote about it, too, but I, I thought he did a good job of explaining it. They know the button to push. The button is fear, right? And the right wing that shows up at these events, it's so ironic. I think JR might have pointed this out a long time ago. The, the driving thing is they're so afraid. They're afraid that their way of life is going to get taken away from them, that they're not going to be in control anymore. And the fear is oozing out of them. It's, it's, it's a bad place to be, man, when you got that kind of fear and anger in the same place. Don't make me play Yoda again. Don't make me do it. Tensions like, or does he even have any? She said he never really looks at me. I give him.
Meanwhile, we mere mortals continue to battle furiously over who will pay for our future colonoscopies. <laughs> we are a weak race. Last Tuesday, Barack Obama had a pretty cozy town hall in New Hampshire. But on Friday, he took his show to a first-come, first-served hoedown in red state, bastion, McCain and Bush voting, Montana. It's on! I am excited to be back in Montana. Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Um, <laughs> You're doing great. You are a heroic mom. So we are grateful to you. And your son's lucky. I now have a new job helping people who are... That's great. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the Montana Ambassadors. To Thank Montana. you so much. Well, you make a great ambassador. Get a room! <laughs> uh, actually, I see you already have one. It's uh, for the purpose of a town hall meeting. Look at these people. For God's sakes, did you find the only 2,000 ACLU members in Montana? There's got to be a Yosemite Sam-looking NRA member out there somewhere, doesn't there? I mean, for God's sake, wait a minute. My name is Randy Rathy. I'm from Ekalaka, Montana. And uh, as you can see, I'm a proud NRA member. Um, I... <laughs> Let me just do a quick impression right now of the Secret Service. I believe in our Constitution, yeah. and uh, it's a very important thing. I also get my news from the cable networks, because I don't like the spin that comes from the mother places. I... 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 Hey! Leave Sam Elliott alone. I eat fire-cooked meat, because I get freaked out by ovens. And I'm teaching myself to live without sleeping, because I don't trust my dreams. I've been working on that accent. All right, go get him, Yosemite Sam, with your fascist tyranny, Hitler care, tree of liberty must be watered. Yeehaw! Boom, boom, boom! You can't tell us how you're going to pay for this. The only way you're going to get that money is to raise our taxes. You said you wouldn't. Max Baca says he doesn't want to put a bill out that, that will, but that's the only way you can do that. That was reasonable. No bluster, no threats, no nothing. You, sir, are a disgrace to your old-timey mustache. <laughs> I'm going to have to revoke it. <laughs> now, I'm... I'm going to keep this thing until you learn how to crazy it up a little bit. That still had Dinty Moore on it. <laughs> so our stereotypical Montana night let us down. But then Obama had to head to Colorado to face a different kind of Republican, the young free market idealist. My name is Zach Lane. I'm a student at the University of Colorado in Boulder. How in the world can a private corporation providing insurance compete with an entity that does not have to worry about making a profit, does not have to pay local uh, property taxes. They, they do not have to, they're not subject to local regulations. Yeah, 
Private institutions can never compete with strong public options, right? Guy who goes to publicly funded state college? <laughs> Talking to guy who went to still flourishing, not out of business private college? Why don't you come correct on this, Alex P. Keaton, mother? What you say? This is a legitimate debate to have. All I'm, all I'm saying is, though, that the public option, whether we have it or we don't have it, is not the entirety of health care reform. Did you hear that, dude? It's Wait a second. What did you just say? <laughs> the public option, whether we have it or we don't have it. No public option? We still get to kill old people, though, right? <laughs> did you just drop public option? Because little college... Be Mr. President, I can't tell if you're a Jedi, ten steps ahead of everything. <laughs> Or if this whole healthcare thing is kicking your ass just a little bit. Why is this so hard? Why can't you guys just stay on message? Remember the Bush team? A little bit of discipline, a little bit of repetition. They sold us a war nobody wanted and nobody needed. The Iraqi regime is led by a dangerous and brutal man. Saddam Hussein's regime is a danger uh, to the United States. We have to assume there's more there than we know. Yeah, but that guy had nothing to do with 9-11, so it can't possibly... We know they have weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, but our inspectors are there. They're not finding anything. There is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. We don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. <laughs> this just doesn't sound right to me. The money we spend over there probably could pay for universal health care. I mean, let's just wait and see if Afghanistan turns out to be... The one them. choice we don't have is to do nothing. The one option that we do not have is to do nothing. Doing nothing is no longer an option. Must invade Iraq. <laughs> Must invade Iraq. Must invade Iraq. Those guys could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. The Democrats, I don't even think, could sell Eskimos they need. Insulation. Heating apparatus. I'm not really that familiar with what Eskimos need. Increased choice and competition drives down the prices for other insurance. That's why a strong public option is necessary. Do individuals looking for health insurance in the private market have choice and competition? Mm -hmm. If we have that, the president will be satisfied. What we need is a level playing field, but a public plan side by side with private plans to make sure costs come down. It's good to have competition for the private insurers, but that is not the essential element. I've been very clear about the fact that we should have a public plan. The public option, whether we have it or we don't have it, is not the entirety of health care reform. Yes, we can. Unless you don't think we should, then we'll do something different. How the hell do I know? Wouldn't have to be like this if you'd only understand. Too many misunderstandings causing such delay. If it doesn't work like this, will I try another
In all the jockeying over the health care overhaul, lots of people are saying lots of things, and many of them are not exactly true. But one false claim in particular seems to have special staying power. NPR's Julie Rovner looks at why so many seniors are worried that the government will intervene in their end-of-life decisions. This particular claim appears to have started with conservative commentator Betsy McCoy. Healthcare experts remember her best for a questionable analysis she wrote 15 years ago about then-President Clinton's health care plan. Here's McCoy on the current health bill moving through the House on a recent talk radio show. One of the most shocking things I found in this bill, and there were many, is on page 425 where the Congress would make it mandatory, absolutely required that every five years people in Medicare have a required counseling session that will tell them how to end their life sooner, how to decline nutrition, how to decline being hydrated, how to go into hospice care. McCoy's take was quickly picked up by Republicans on Capitol Hill, including North Carolina Congresswoman Virginia Fox. Fox said a health care plan introduced by Republicans is better. And is pro-life because it will not put seniors in a position of being put to death by their government. There's only one problem. The Democrats' bill would do nothing of the sort. It simply allows, not requires, seniors to be counseled about options for end-of-life care. Kathy Brandt is a vice president of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Nothing in the health care reform language says anything about terminating life, hastening death, assisted suicide, none of that. All it is is about documenting wishes, whatever those wishes are. Brandt says the bill would simply, for the first time, pay health care providers to have the conversation with Medicare patients about what kind of care they would want if they were to become unable to communicate their wishes. If you want everything to be possibly done, all medical treatment to be done for you until your last breath, or you can choose not to have everything, or somewhere in between. I think most people who are healthy adults would want treatment, and nothing that's in any health care reform bills that I've heard or seen does anything that would prohibit that. So why are so many people, to put it bluntly, freaking out over this issue? Harvard public opinion expert Robert Blendon says it's because seniors are very, very sensitive when it comes to health care. Seniors worry more about their health care than any other group in American life. They feel more vulnerable. And if they think that this bill is about restricting things, taking decisions, uh, picking age limits, they're really going to be very active opponents of this. In fact, says Blendon, one place lawmakers have really stumbled in selling the proposal is in saying that they would pay for it by cutting Medicare spending, but not explaining that the bill also includes some new benefits for seniors. And so I think the discussions about how money would be saved for Medicare has really alarmed them. And so the really important information is how would it be different for a senior if this bill was passed? Giving backers of the proposal one more group to convince during the August recess. Pardon me, everyone, and let me just expound for a moment on the virtues and benefits of a best-of-the-left membership. First of all, it's the members that are helping to support this show and keeping it going strong twice a week. Without their support, the production schedule would absolutely have to be cut back. So you have those to thank who are willing to pay as little as $5 a month for the sheer volume of content that you're receiving in the podcast. 
On top of that, members also receive the Best of the Left Raw feed. This feed contains all of the clips that end up in the show, as well as some that don't make the final cut, and those clips that originally come from television or some other video source are delivered in their original video format. To become a member, simply go to the website at bestoftheleft.com and click the membership tab. Thanks so much for your support. In 1939, Hitler set up an independent committee that would decide who was going to receive treatment and who wasn't. What Obama is calling for is to have the same exact role. Today at the town hall, the president said that under no circumstances do these boards prevent people from getting health care. Does that have any sway with you at all? Uh, no. Obama is a liar. He is a Marxist. He is a very accomplished liar. I hope people are open to hearing the truth, and I think the vast majority of the American people are. You're a liar! You're a liar! It's a republic, not a democracy! We can't afford health, free health care. Um, this government's not meant to be in business. Tonight in Inglewood, there's going to be, I think, a remote area medical, which is basically a portable hospital. And this was originally designed for third world countries, but now it's coming right into the center of Los Angeles. I've been here since about 4 o'clock. So you've already been here 8 hours. You could be darn near having a heart attack, and you have to decide, am I really going to call an ambulance and rack up a $500 bill? That's crazy. You're working, insured still doesn't cover the service that you need. Exactly. And if you weren't able to come here, what would be your plan B? Pain. I need to be in Haiti. Uh -huh. I need to be in Guatemala. Yeah. I need to be in Zimbabwe. Not, not downtown LA. Do you see mostly working poor, middle class? In large parts, it's the people that have jobs. They have insurance. The insurance does not cover dentistry and vision care. So we started the day at a town hall meeting where people who had health care were enraged that Barack Obama was Hitler and a socialist and a fascist. And then we came here where people lined up at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning because they didn't have access to even the most fundamental health care. I don't understand why the people who have stuff are enraged and the people who have nothing are warm and hopeful. This is Dana Gould saying, what the fuck? I need a Dana. Dana Gould is right here, Dana. Good job. Thank you. So I want to, I, I just want to, in case they didn't hear all of that, because the, the one guy said, when you said, what was plan B? He said, pain. Yeah. And uh, there was a woman there with her uh, nine-year-old daughter, uh, Bridget, who was there. She had to skip school because she needed glasses. And I said, what, if you couldn't come here today, what was your plan B? And she said, uh, Bridget doesn't get glasses. And I also think we should reiterate the point that that's called remote area medical. I saw that they did a special uh, piece on them on 60 Minutes. Yeah, they were designed as an international force. Yeah, these are to, people who go to third world yeah, countries. Guyana and Haiti. Right. And now they do a lot of their work right here. In America. Mm -hmm. that, that says a lot. But what I found interesting starting the day in Alhambra was the reality gap, whereas you go to the town hall meeting and the people were furious but they were furious about yes. these esoteric concepts of like, this is not a democracy, it's a republic. And that, the Louisiana Purchase is bullshit. That, and it's like, <laughs> and then you go, and then you go like, no, this guy's got a dead tooth. Right. You know, that, he's been taking Advil no, for that, a year and a half. That, that's what is so amazing, and that's a great point you brought up. The people who should be angry, the people who have no health care and are in physical pain, they seem to be completely 
Because they oh. live in hope. Because they live in hope. People talk about America has a permanent underclass. We have a permanent anger class. And uh, I liken them to, uh, this specific group was uh, conservative, uh, fundamentalist conservatives. They're not Republicans or Democrats. These are people who think everything Ronald Reagan said is the gospel and should be taken literally. Right. They have an idea of what the world should be like. It's exactly the way they want it to be. And anytime anything deviates from that, they go into a panic. Unfortunately for them, they're stranded in reality and they're going to be angry until they're dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are the people who are going to have health care crises because they're mad. Yes. Because anger, not yeah, to get too gonna, holistic on you, but, yeah. you know, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And like fundamentalists, they are manipulated by these media demagogues who play them for suckers. It's really a and, perfect and, mirror. And what they're mad at is so, you know, I want my country back. It, from what? Who's taking there was, Oh, there was what? so much Hitler. So much Hitler right. at this thing. <laughs> and not the fun, not the fun and glorious bastards Hitler either. <laughs> but as I, this one guy I was talking to, I said, like, why, why Hitler? And he goes, well, Hitler also wanted to restrict medical care to people. Was that what he was the most known for, though? <laughs> I, By the way, that, there's a... There's a book called uh, There's a book called War of the Week that actually shows how uh, a group in the United States with uh, Franklin Roosevelt and Carnegie and Rockefeller and a group uh, including Alexander Graham Bell actually started this notion of uh, eliminating certain people from being cared. And there was a summit, a world summit, that Hitler attended, and then he took that notion and adapted it into his philosophy. So it was actually a born... Uh, Ashton, I want to shake your hand. Philosophy. Right. F ser seriously. FDR no, it is. It's, it's completely true. I mean, this isn't... But again, this that's isn't not what no, no, the most true. known for. It's not what... No, no. This isn't... This isn't... No, look. It's absolutely true. It rhymed with world more mood. Contemporary. Hey, listen. Let me, let, me, let, me say, let me say a word... I'm not... And, by the way, I'm not comparing Obama to Hitler. No, no, no. Let me say a word... No. Let me say a word in defense of the right-wing nutjobs who you so eloquently filmed. If you watch the first few frames of that video segment with the big pictures of Obama as Hitler with the handlebar mustache and so on, you'll see at the bottom of those pictures, LaRouchePAC.com. Right. Now, I don't know how many people here know who Lyndon LaRouche is, right. but he's, he's not a conservative. No, he's right. a super left. He's a super left-wing crazy man who sends, you know, you'll see in, in Washington, D.C., you get on the metro and people are handing out, you know, LaRouche literature and so on. And um, on college so, campuses. And on college campuses. So, I mean, one of the things that's happening in these town halls, yeah, it's attracting crazy right-wing people. And but, crazy left-wing people. But, but and, you know, it's attracting right. a and, lot of crazy And, crazy and I don't like it when, during the run to the Iraq war, people on the left compared Bush to Hitler. It's, you, know, you know who should be compared to Hitler? Hitler. <laughs> um, and maybe Chaplin. <laughs> um, Mel Brooks. But it's a lazy, yeah, it's a lazy, it's a lazy right. analogy, it's a lazy sign. Right. But here's the point that I wanted to make before we run out of time. The thing that became really clear when I was down at Remote Access Medical is because people who don't have access to the most fundamental health care, they don't treat themselves until their problem becomes catastrophic. And as such, it costs 10 times more than it would normally. And guess who pays for it? We do, because insurance rates go up right. and it's trickle up costs. And the, the theory is if we can get these people, as you said earlier, some sort of preventative wellness plan that over the long run, it's good business.
there was a really great piece of local journalism that happened yesterday in Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Mighty Packers, the Fort Howard Paper Company, and a TV reporter named Christopher Engelbretson, who works for NBC Channel 26. Democratic Congressman Steve Kagan held a town hall meeting on health care that, not surprisingly, turned nasty. But rather than just reporting on the nastiness as a kinetic event, look, motion, uh, Mr. Engelbretson actually paid attention to who exactly was disrupting the event and why. He stuck around afterwards to ask those folks why they were being that way in the meeting and what their views were. And in one case, he got on the Google machine to find out whether or not these folks disrupting the meeting were really who they said they were. Check it out. Heather Blish is another one who stood out. She introduced herself as just a mom from a few blocks away, not affiliated with any political party. Later, I tried to ask her if anyone sent her here. No, I was not influenced. I'm not a member of the Republican Party. I have not paid my dues to the Republican Party for two years. I left the party. Her LinkedIn page shows something different. She was the vice chair of the Republican Party of Kiwani County until last year. She worked on the John Gard campaign, who ran unsuccessfully against Kagan last year. And it says she's a part of the Republican Party for Kagan's district, as well as the Republican Party of Wisconsin and the Republican National Committee. Again, Blish introduced herself as just a mom with no political affiliation with any party. Ta-da! Journalism! Congratulations to Christopher Engebretson of that local station in Green Bay for going the extra step to find out what was behind the incivility in his town, rather than just covering it like a ping-pong match. The supposed mom from down the block who was berating Congressman Kagan, yeah, turns out she's a Republican Party official who worked for the candidate who lost to the congressman she was berating. Also, Patients United Now, which promises you that there are people just like you standing up to the big companies and lobbyists on health care reform, they're really Americans for Prosperity. Offices on M Street in Washington, D.C., funded by the largest oil company in the United States. Mob scenes at town hall tea party events that the Republican Party chairman says have nothing at all to do with Republicans and aren't being promoted by them in any way. Hey, there they are being promoted on the front page of Republican Party websites. The laziest possible way to cover or understand what's been happening at these town hall shutdowns is to see that mob rule in action as some sort of indication that health care reform is a policy that just brings out the worst in people. Boy, howdy, these two sides sure are fighting it out. You know, these aren't two sides fighting it out. This is Democratic members of Congress trying to hold conversations and meetings about health care with constituents, facing down mobs that are shutting down and drowning out those conversations and those meetings. Fox News today posted a list of town hall meetings for their viewers to consider attending. They posted only Democratic town hall meetings. These are political attacks that frankly aren't even really about health care at all. If this were a debate, if, if what we were witnessing here was controversy about what to do about the issue of health care, we'd actually be having a disagreement about what to do about the issue of health care. Instead, what we've got is fact-free paranoia and rage being stoked to the point where it stops all discussion. 
Here's a case in point. The idea that healthcare reform is a secret plan to kill old people. A claim that got an even crazier than usual airing tonight on the Facebook page of the former governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin. She wrote, quote, the America I know and love is not one in which my parents or my baby with Down syndrome will have to stand in front of Obama's death panel so his bureaucrats can decide based on a subjective judgment of their level of productivity in society whether they are worthy of health care. Such a system is downright evil. You got that? Obama's death panel? Sarah Palin thinks that's a bad idea. Wait till all the people in favor of the Obama death panel hear about this. There'll be quite a debate. There's no Obama death panel. There's no plan to kill old people. There's no plan to kill off people who aren't productive enough. There's no plan to kill off any of Sarah Palin's children. And if we were actually talking about health care, instead of waddling through this free-floating morass of factless partisan rage and corporate opportunism, it would occur to someone to notice that the provision being considered by Congress that has Sarah Palin ranting about Obama death panels and the death of her own children was introduced by Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson of Georgia. And it's not about killing old people. It's about making it easier for old people to create living wills. A similar provision was introduced by another Republican senator, Susan Collins of Maine. This is a Republican idea, and you know what? It's a good idea. Living wills are a good idea. It's the way that you say what you want to happen at the end of your life, whatever that is. You want heroic measures taken? Great. Say it so that nobody can say that's not what you would have wanted. That's what a living will is. You don't have to have one, but if you want to have some say over what happens at the end of your life, it is a good idea. It's certainly a bipartisan idea. It's a patient rights idea and it's never been considered controversial in the 20 plus years the United States government has been formally encouraging it of its citizens but instead of debating that actual policy we get this Republicans have a better solution it will not put seniors in a position of being put to death by their government a lot of people are going to die this this program of government options is going to kill people this started on the kook job fringe. It has now seeped into mainstream talking points against health care reform. When you hear it's euthanasia, when you hear it's the government trying to determine your end of life care, that's wrong. It's completely made up out of whole cloth in order to scare you. It has nothing to do with the actual policy that's being considered. We're not actually having a debate about health policy in this country. We're not even having a debate about health care. This is fact free. It's just politics. And so getting across real facts now in this cacophonous environment is in part a test of our media and of the reasonable ones among our politicians to communicate about actual facts and actual policy over this deafening, deafening, deafening racket. Thanks for listening, everybody. I think I have an exciting announcement to make. It's, I'm in a bit of a weird situation because I don't know if the announcement's going to be true until after I'm done recording this and exporting the show into you know a file that you'll download. And so basically, if you're hearing what I'm saying, then I think it worked. Because if it doesn't work, then I'll re-record this. So anyways, the announcement is... Uh, having to do with the music in the show. People have been leaving comments recently saying that uh, 
they they very often buy the music heard in the show and they've been leaving suggestions saying well you know you should get credit for this i heard it on your show i'd like for you to you know make a couple of cents off that purchase and so here's announcement number one that's not new we actually already have that if you go to the website and it's little cumbersome you got to go to the website and then you got to find the show you're looking to get the music from the music is listed in the show notes of every show on the website and it when you click the link to itunes i do get a a piece of that uh, a piece of that sale and you know we're talking nickels here not pennies nickels from each one of those sales so that that's one way to do it but the new way that I'm hoping is going to work is that I'm actually embedding links just like that into the enhanced version of the show itself. So if you are among the 85% or so of the audience who uses iTunes to download the show, you already have links to the songs to iTunes right in your show. Unfortunately, these links don't show up on like an iPhone or iPod Touch or any other player like that. You still have to go to iTunes, but you don't have to go to another website. You don't have to do anything else. You just play the show that you've already downloaded. When you hear the song you like, down in the bottom left-hand corner, in the little window that shows what you're listening to, there should be a link that says, get this song. You click that, it should take you right to where you can download the song and those links help support the show. So if you're one of the many people who go out and purchase the music that you heard in the show because you like it, that is a, you know, great and hopefully incredibly easy way to do it. I'm I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, and you know you're helping to support the show. You just can't possibly get any better than that. So if you heard what I just said, then that means that the experiment has worked, The show's been exported, the links are there, and they work, so why not go check out iTunes, check out those links for yourself, and uh, buy some music. So that's it for today. Uh, I'm in a bit of an interesting situation today because I'm on a very miniature vacation visiting family, and I didn't bring my notes with me, so let's see if I can do this from memory. Stay connected with the show by joining us on Twitter and Facebook and by signing up for our very seldom but often funny email, newsletter, dispatches. Support the show by leaving reviews in iTunes, voting every month at Podcast Alley, and uh, as long as you're on the website, click the link for the listener survey. You can give us feedback on the show, and that helps us out as well. The show's available on your smartphone by visiting stitcher.com. Get all the information you could possibly want about this episode by visiting the show notes including links to the sources we used and, as I mentioned, links to all the music found in the show. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name's Jay, and this has been the Best of Left podcast, coming to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks to the members at bestofleft.com. Burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A diamond in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you
the fun.